and Elizabeth, I keep on telling everyone, I've got this, this new bank of lights behind me so I can see um, in real time as all the social media feeds uh, kick, kick in. So it's a bit, bit like the start of a Formula One Grand Prix as all the lights were red and now they're all going, all going green. And Elizabeth, well, they're all green. Elizabeth, we're, we're, we're live to the world. Elizabeth, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. My name is Max McGillivray from Beanstalk Global. On behalf of Women in Foods and Farming, we've got the pleasure of uh, today having Dr. Elizabeth Stockdale of NIAB on. And uh, Elizabeth, it's, uh, we've had a lot of interaction over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? We, we had a great catch up with um, with Debbie, who set, set you up to um, talk to us today on Women in Food and Farming. And then um, I, I managed to uh, do a little bit of filming with you at, uh, at Groundswell with, the, with the, you and your team. That, that was a, a, a great event, wasn't it? Amazing event at uh, Groundswell. Yeah, really busy and really interesting conversations. That's one of the things that kind of distinguishes Groundswell, I think. Um, a bit of a festival feel rather than a, a retail show, though there are still plenty of things to buy if you want some compost or a hat or any of those sorts of things around the edge. Yeah, and, and for, for those that, um, oh, I'm just going to let everyone in as, uh, as, as we uh, set, set this all up. I was just saying to Elizabeth and Debbie in our, in our green room, doing, doing the comparison between cereals and um um, and, and Groundswell and, and Sirius is so well established and it's such, such a great event uh, but it does have its own sort of um, sort of style and there's sort of an average age group that will, will attend Sirius um, and an average de demographic whilst at Groundswell um, Elizabeth it was there's so many new younger people that I, I hadn't seen at such an event um, like, like that before and there's a number of the exhibitors said when uh, when there were key speakers coming on at the Groundswell event um, all the aisles just cleared to go into the various mar marquees to hear them so whether that was George Eustace on the second day or Mr Dimbleby on, on, on the first day yes it, it's, a, it's a different event Groundswell and I think it's 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 good to have that sort of thing in, in the sector because it's, it's Elizabeth it's, it's very stimulating. Yeah, it's about giving people an opportunity to explore what regenerative agriculture might mean for them. It's not there is in its original setup, there was a buried plough and, and sort of things that felt like you were going through a conversion experience. But um, in in more recent times, it's become a lot more about exploring and engaging together to look for solutions, I think. Yeah, and, and also to be back face to face and that collaboration and be able to actually look at your amazing plots because we need to big up your plots, especially the plots that um, um, I, I, I managed to uh, film Joe Churchill, Defra Minister, um, uh, when she was looking at your plots on uh, day day one or day two at uh, at Cyril's, and even even the minister was so impressed by the by the size of the plots and also the quality of the plots. So, so you and your team must have been very proud of that. Yeah. So really, really, let's big up Sean. So really, really big work by Sean and the team led by Hannah to make sure those events um, really do look good um, and deliver sort of really good experience for people on stand. Yeah, well said. So come on, let, let's get on with this. We would normally have the, the likes of Christine or uh, Debbie or Eve or Camilla um, looking to, to introduce Women in Food and Farming, uh, but they're all busy. Um, and after having done um, 18 of these over, over the last eight, 18 months, it was bound to happen, Elizabeth, that statistically there's going to be some sort of clash where one of them couldn't be in. And it's not that they don't love you. Um, it's uh, just that I, I have to look to uh, carry uh, this broadcast without them. So I'm hoping you can hold my hand figuratively so that we can get the best uh, out of me for you, for women and food, food and farming. So if it's okay, Elizabeth, just let me give um, the, the background to, to the group and also to, to yourself for those dialing in and also for those, especially on the, um, on the podcast. So women and food and farming are a 
group of professional women in the food, agriculture, and the land-based industries at all stages of their careers who get together to discuss business issues, support each other via mentorship and advice, and help generate networks of contacts that might be useful to themselves and their businesses. Founded in 2011 by Christine, Christine Take On CBE, uh, the group started with just five women and now has over 500 members. Christine is known to many as the first grocery code adjudicator and head of the co-op's farming business. She has been appointed chair of the Assured Food Standards and um, as a chair, as you'd expect, of that being uh, Red, Red Tractor and has a number of other roles that we'll all be aware of. And we're very proud, uh, being sort of very proud to assist the group um, whilst we go through this, hopefully the, the end of this pandemic period, um, ready for your um, in-person live events. And just to say, the, the first in-person live event for your group, Women in Food and Farming, is uh, programmed for the 26th of September at the Savills Head Offices in, uh, in London, amazing offices in, uh, in Oxford, um, Oxford Circus. So if you want to find out more about that, uh, either message me or go um, onto uh, Beanstalk um, and put your details on, on there. We'll send you the, the, the details and make sure you're on the mailing list for the, uh, for the group's admin. Kirsty at, um, at MDS to send you on that those details of the first live event for Women in Food and Farming on the 26th of September in uh, in Central London. So today, our July broadcast, we are delighted to have Dr. Elizabeth Stockdale, Head of Farming Systems um, and Research at NIAB. Elizabeth has played nicely with mud throughout her career and student days at Newcastle and through work at the uh, Oh, help me, help me here, Elizabeth, the SRUC, Scottish. Uh, Rural University College, though it usually just uses its letters. Excellent. And Rothmansted, um, you've also been heavily involved with and uh, um, you're back teaching students in those same lecture rooms at Newcastle and hopefully even more so, so as uh, we get back to proper live events. Um, Elizabeth has over 25 years applied soil and nutrient management research experience and is engaged with a wide range of research projects connected with the study of nutrient cycling in soils and with the environmental impact of farming systems. She moved to NIAB and became head of the Integrative Interdisciplinary Farming Systems Research Team in 2017. Most recently, Elizabeth has been very active in developing farmer-focused approaches to the measurement of soil health and developing on-farm toolkits for improved soil management. Elizabeth, is that a good summary, please? Uh, well, I wrote it, so it probably should be, shouldn't it? <laughs> and I did try and make a really good tongue twister for you with your integrative interdisciplinary. Yes, bit. yeah, thank, thank you very much. My, my mother would be would be proud of my of my of my elocution lessons back 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 in the back of the day. So let, let's let's start from um, from from um, uh, bare, bare bones. Um, do you? I'm, I'm guessing you come from a large, extended farming family with thousands of acres somewhere, like, like your family owned Wales or something. Tell us all. How did this? No, all I, start? I grew up in Wales, in North Wales, where the rain, rain falls sideways. But um, no, no farming. Well, farming in my background only to the extent that my dad, when I before I was born, before I was even thought of, was a farm labourer, was a dairy hand on a farm. But it was the point that farms were losing labour rapidly and actually he transitioned to be a groundsman gardener uh, throughout my growing up so I grew up on a in a tied house but not to a farm but to um, first a school and then to a, a large uh, sort of holiday home um, in North Wales so I did I, my dad played with mud and I tried to get us interested me and my sister in in gardening and, and things growing um, but we weren't that bothered about keeping his tomatoes up or weeding his strawberries or any of those other jobs he used to try and give us so I, I wasn't really an agric and I'm not really a 
a sort of sort of growing sort of background either it was it was a job to avoid rather than one to get involved in so it's a bit of a, a an oddity I think that I've ended up in in farming I was a science science geek at at school so I did all those sciences but was really interested in people and stories so um did a bit of history and geography and things as well um and it was just as I came to end of a levels looking for what I might do next I decided I wanted or who always wanted I guess to change the world and looked into what I might do and that's where I sort of started to find out a bit more about agriculture but I couldn't be an agriculture student because um, I didn't come from a farming background and didn't have the right amount of experience so um, I had to go into agricultural science instead. Excellent. It's, I'm just thinking of my old old times at uh, at Harper that say if you didn't come from a farming background you, you looked to marry it but as, as everyone would say to me who would marry you Max so case in point but just 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 um because we have so many students listening in on, on a UK or on an international basis what what do you think was the proverbial magic dust for you to go down this this agricultural route because you could have gone off into other other areas of um of 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 medical research what what what, what i think i think you you have to get got i think by what it is you want to study and there was a little bit about i i I knew about what it meant to be a doctor and i knew i didn't want to be one and and i actually knew what it wanted to be a vet and i didn't that hadn't got me and so i I was just I was doing that thing and I don't know that people still do it because you would do it on the internet now but we thumbed through a book of courses for for going to university and just what kind of things you might do and um, I didn't want to do just one science so I didn't just want to do chemistry or just physics because they were all right but on their own they were pretty darn dull so I wanted to do something that was applied and made sense in 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 the real world and so I looked at a few things and, and none of them really grabbed me and it was it was that idea that that growing food and working with, and I, I don't think I would have phrased it gr- working with land and landscapes because I wasn't thinking in those terms then, was was a way of was informing and helping and 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 I guess changing the world. So it it grabbed me, and then the conversations as I went through that process to think about what kind of agricultural science I wanted to do became well animal science really I I wanted to do animal science I'd have been a vet or plant science felt a bit too much like more biology so for me there was a sweet spot that I hadn't ever realized existed which was where physics and chemistry and biology came together in this stuff under our feet that is soil so I I, I can it was really early in a conversation with someone so actually that's that's quite cool that that's quite interesting and I think it's one of those things and there are people on I can see names of people I've taught is that it it kind of if if it's taught you well or you the first encounter you have with how soils work engages you then actually it doesn't leave you and that's been one of those experiences of my life also in in my continued training too that that ability to convey and discuss this weird place beneath our feet where water and rocks and biology and roots and worms and organisms come together and just constantly change and transition the places that they are and and make things happen whether that's growing food or changing the way that the environment works through making clean water or atmospheric interactions so generation of greenhouse gases creating a habitat for thousands upon millions upon millions in fact of organisms beneath our feet and all of those sorts of things just are 
you can tell I'm, I've not stopped being obsessed since yeah. that first encounter with uh, trying to make sense of all that diversity. Yeah, I've, Elizabeth, I've just had a WhatsApp uh, in from, from, from a mate saying, well, I mean, Elizabeth knows her stuff because you do just and just just that, that bit about soil even even more so now because of um, our, our student generation can uh, assimilate information so so quickly because because the of the internet and they're now getting so excited about sustainability and and everyone knows that the the the, the secret is soil are, are you seeing this as well is there is there a bit of a gold rush of people looking to come into the sector to find out more to elizabeth to be you to find out more 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 about the sector Yes. I mean, I think people who were, I think one of the, 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 the be interesting conversations I have in places like the Soil Hole at Cereals has always been with people who I might have taught at university or encountered who then come back into the soil hole and say, now I'm doing it for myself. Now I'm actually working to do that or that or the other. Actually, I now understand why you got excited about it, because it started to grip me and whether that's people growing things in their own gardens or farmers looking at how to manage land better and understand why that bit at the top of the hill doesn't behave like the bit at the bottom of the hill and actually that bit of science actually just helps them understand that and then how they might manage it that that putting it into practice is something that's actually really easy with soil science it starts to make sense of things we can see day to day in very practical ways Yep, um, I um, don't tell anyone, uh, but on uh, first day of cereals, I took my 14 year old uh, son along to be uh, my cameraman because he's uh, far farming obsessed. Um, and we got to the so soil hole and he said, Dad, what's that? And, and just for, for our, especially for our international students who dialed, <laughs> dialed in a little bit, just, just describe that. Because if, if everyone, if you've never, if you've never been to cereals, you, you've, you've, everything is on, on, a, on a flat uh, flat plane. You've got uh, the lights of the Niab seal crops and you've got uh, displays. And then suddenly you, you look around and you see all of these people at, at ground height like this. And you think, what was Elizabeth? Just just, just describe and I, so, it. it's, so and it's nothing. It, it, it predates me. But um, so Niab and cereals work together to say it would be really good to have an opportunity to literally walk down. So you go down some steps and you end up sort of at least five feet, depending below the ground. And you see and you'll use sad soil science jargon, you see the soil profile, those layers cut through. So it, it's about, I'm guessing, three, three four metres broad yeah. and 12 metres long. So you walk down steps at one end and then walk through and up the other end. And we deliberately grow different crops along the side so you can see different rooting systems. But the most important thing you see, obviously, is the interaction between the rocks beneath, the biology on the top, and how that formation's been happening and those interactions that have been happening over 10,000 years probably at that site since the last glacier left it. But you can also see roots using the channels that worms used last year and getting a metre down. Yeah, and yeah. you can see how the roots shape and change that soil in the top. And we use some blue dye this year to track the channels that a big rainfall event would then sort of put the water on the top and where that water would end up through the profile, how quickly it would move down and how far sideways it would move. So you can do all sorts of things when you show people what's happening below ground. And what you do, we do in the hole, is just chat to people about what they can see and why they can see it and, and start to tell the story of the history, really, of that landscape and its interaction with the management above ground. Yeah, and it's so tangible. Just go back to my fourteen-year-old son; he'd never seen such a profile, such as that. And I, 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 bless him, one of your Niab colleagues. Sorry, and I don't know which one it was. Um, actually, saw him poking at it and uh, explained to him all, all the different um, 
profiles there. So that's one, one thing for a 14 year old, but also for, uh, for, for a farmer, for a grower, whether they've been in the UK or internationally, to be able to see that profile of the, of the soil that they, they uh, don't normally see. And also to see that interaction from, from a previous year's cropping is, um, is, is a standard. And, and again, just to use that word, it's, it's very, very, very tangible. So, so talking about tangibility, just, just join up the dots from, from your educational side to NIAB. How, how did that all work? So I, I, I've not stopped doing soil stuff. So I've been a soil obsessive. I'm still a soil obsessive, but I'm a soil obsessive who wants to use that information, the finding out about why things are working in soil, not just for the thrill of finding it out, but for making a difference. So from um, Newcastle through SRUC, working with farmers, doing trials on farm mean, meant having to be able to talk about what I was finding in a way that made sense for practice and the work I did at SIUC for my PhD was in um, an organic farming system one of the first in fact Abernethy uh, Jamesfield farm wow. was looking at nitrogen cycling in that system because there was no fertilizer so we could see the real detail of the processes that the organisms in the soil would driving separate from the interactions that you might see from chemistry and so it just provided it was a great backdrop for doing science except of course to understand the science I was doing in an organic system that's so shaped and changed by the long-term decisions that are made about crop rotation about the seasonal interactions actually about the constraints that farming sits within in terms of the socio-economics and so you can hear that we had to put together this sort of systems picture that went from the tiniest interaction between an individual microbe and its resources around it at nanoscale in the soil right up to what resources were available how much organic materials that farm could access and, and how they could be used and all of that fed into a sort of need to put the soil science that I'd learned into that bigger context of a whole farming system so that was about me then taking that information and, and understanding better but in a way that could shape and sh uh, inform and improve the management uh, in practice so that so I, I started to play and I always have then in that uh, space in between science and practice. So SIUC, Rothamsted, Newcastle Uni, I'm sorry, everyone who had to put up with me teaching them, and then now to NIAB. And, and it's just been a track of, I think, probably increasing move towards that integration into practice or that opportunity to work through to practice. And NIAB. Who are NIAB? For, for, for those, for the uh, uninitiated, whether that be the, the younger students or those from uh, overseas or, or perhaps as uh, people from, from the sector that haven't uh, gone to the likes of Cereals or Groundswell this, this year, can you just tell us who, who NIAB are? Yeah, so how, it's, NIAB, how it's formed, where it is today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So NIAB doesn't have a grown up name. It had a grown up name once, it, it no longer. So in 1996, NIAB was taken to not quite private, well, privatised, came out of government control. And, and actually it just then kept its letters. So they don't really stand for anything apart from that integrated crop science organization that has its feet in work that began in 1919, um, improving varieties and making sure the best quality seed was available to grow crops post first world war. Since 1996, we've been bringing together all sorts of other organisations. So you, some people will know other names too that also belong to NIAB, like CUF or like TAG or like EMR or like yeah. BCPC. So what all of this is, is applied crop science, crop science that tries to or that is linked through to practice. So the highest quality blue skies crop science, but 
and genetics and breeding, agronomy, soil science, all the way through to what that actually means for a decision a farmer might make in a field and, and how they make that decision most effectively. So making sure farmers have the information and not just farmers, but growers in terms of horticulture for vineyards and, and orchards oh. as well, to make sure that those farmers are best informed. So that NIAB is about that information as well as knowledge pipeline. Okay, so, so NIAB is integral to the farming systems of the UK? Uh, I'm sure, we sh yes, yes is the simple answer. I don't like making big claims. So I think for many farmers, NIAB's, the information NIAB has provided has shaped and changed what those farmers can do. And for most farmers, without them realising it, NIAB's actually shaped and changed the way that seed is made available, the drive and support, um, the uh, listing of crops through the national lists, through the um, evaluation of crops through the recommended lists, um, through to making decisions and tests about fungicides and the stuff I do, which is about putting those things together into farming systems to think about how we make different sorts of management practices work most effectively for an individual farm. So that's about being site specific and locally adapted because what works in one place won't always work in the other. Okay, and, and breeding, just just hold my hand figuratively about the breeding side of, of, um, of NIAB. Uh, uh, it tickled me when I went on a farm walk um, in my local estate about, about a, a week ago in Bury St Edmunds, because all the barley that they grow is uh, Maris Otter, um, which is a 50 year old um, variety. Um, and as they, they were saying, it, it doesn't uh, yield the best. Um, but because of the um, the craft ale uh, sector, uh, they've all seen this uh, craft ale book from from 40 years ago, saying that the 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 barley that you must grow to get the best results is Maris Otter. And so this is premium for this uh, gorgeous crop, Maris Otter, but it doesn't perform. The, uh, it just tickled me that there's this this long outstanding crop. But with the breeding programs that you've got in, in place, you're it, it, it's it is so involved. It's so technical. Again, you, you are that area of expertise for the, for the, for the UK in the terms of crop breeding? Um, one of three main, probably, and different different centres for different crops. Um, but in terms of strawberries, people will have been eating yep. um, Morling Centenary or Morling Ace over the yes. last few days. Um, so those strawberries come from the East Morling um, Strawberry Breeding Club. So NIAB um, works with uh, strawberry breeding companies to bring together the best and develop the best genetics to, in, to inform and enable um, those best quality, best eating quality, but also best producing quality varieties um, for the UK. Um, but in terms of wheat, the breeding companies will do that work themselves. What's needed yeah. is something that's that's called pre-breeding, that work that's pre-competitive to really understand um, actually um, how the genetics can inform the traits that those crops have. You're pushing my my science. So Tina, I know, is, is listening in and going, oh, she's not explaining that plant science very well. You have to bear in mind, I'm a poor soil scientist trying to explain plant science. But it's really important that we start to think about the traits that crops have, not just in terms of what they do above ground. So food quality and production quality is really important, how they stand and how they perform and how they respond to fungicides. But equally for me, how they root and how those interactions in the root system can be shaped and changed by the genetics of the plant. And so starting to understand and potentially be able to manipulate what's happening in the soil to change processes because we're able to more effectively 
introduce traits that change the way the carbon is fed from photosynthesis down through the root system that then feeds the organisms in the soil that then do something different to feed the plant better. Crazy world of interactions, really complex, but really increasingly transparent to our um, understanding and then towards us being able to choose the best varieties to manage the things we're trying to manage. Grapes. When I've, I've been through my travels in, uh, in South Africa, um, love, amazing area in, in South Africa, I'm sure a number of people have been to called the Hex River Valley and just a stunning area for, for grape growing. The, the one thing that I, I couldn't get my head around was the amount of breeding that was going on for, for grapes. Because if you come back to the UK, the consumer just thinks there's red grapes and white grapes. Uh, oh, sorry, green, green grapes. Um, within, the, within the UK, um, do we not have the same with... Um, with, with wheat, there's milling wheat, and there's feed wheat. How much more can be done? How much more research and, and scientific endeavor could be done? Or, or are we just now fiddling at the, at, at the edges because so much has been done? Or is there still a huge, um, uh, another level of, of science to go to increase quality and, and productivity of, um, of cropping? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is again. It's it's beyond my my area, but I I, I genuinely think there are really great opportunities in the context of um, precision breeding approaches that will allow us to take and enable traits that will change production systems, will change food quality in a way that works with and alongside yeah. the plant systems um, and fit into to, um, farming systems most effectively so that we can then choose and adapt varieties for uh, regenerative approaches to to improve um, pollination. It might be cover crops that we're looking to improve as much as it is crops like wheat. And, and there's, there's a ridiculous amount of work we can do and our breeding gain has been steady okay. and constant over the last hundred years in terms of producing more and higher and different quality. So the key with wheat is that there are so many varieties so many there are actually at least four groupings of wheat and even then within those different specialisms that you choose the variety for your end market but it's also important that you understand which is the variety to best grow in your location and that i think is, is an interesting point for grapes in that a single grape variety will produce different quality juice depending on where it's grown so that's that, that classic yeah. terroir yeah. that's due to the minerals and the interactions between the grape plant and its location that is that mud stuff so it's actually about variety and environment that g by e interaction which becomes really key in optimizing our production systems yeah but and just don't dumb it down to, to my level talking about my estate farm walk the other, other day this is a 2000 hectare estate and uh, split um, um, across the middle that the northern side is, is very sandy and the southern side is uh, is is, uh, is a very, very clay based and, and for, for, for those students who are just thinking about getting involved in agriculture it's amazing as a, as a Elizabeth has said the, the 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 differences within soil structure because on that estate they on the northern side they grow a lot of rye for rye vita um, um, and it's very drought tolerant but on the southern side they grow um, a lot of lot of wheat which isn't as a, as um, a drought drought tolerant but they, they see a difference in fields and the farmer knows exactly what field he should be growing what variety to get the best cropping and it's not just a it's not just a cast all thinking that you'll grow whatever seed and whatever field and whatever ever county it's got to be very very specific so again having uh, you and your colleagues expertise with the expertise of the of the grower to get the best of that crop for for the end market that that's go, going to is imperative yeah and i think the thing that always i think strikes me is when people 
and, and it, politicians do it very well, there's sort of sweeping statements of, well, farming should do this or actually land managers should do that. And that sort of sweeping statement doesn't really help anyone because, yeah. you know, we hear it. Farmers are exploiters or farmers are polluters or farmers are caref careful stewards of the landscape. We get any of those sorts of things. But I can stand in one place on a farm and see a whole range of different um, you know, actions, both positive regenerative things farmers are doing in terms of improving soil health or increasing productivity. But you often I can also see a bit of a scruffy hedge that's not been well maintained or compacted puddle soil in a gateway or a green water ditch. And actually what we can yeah. see is all of those things within a small location and actually, so working out what works on average for everybody doesn't work everywhere what yeah. we end up with is um you know the average thing everywhere will give us a range of different results depending on the ground so what we want is the best thing for each location and that's a tricky thing to work out that interactive locally adapted site stuff is about really understanding where someone starts and that's in in regenerative principles that's called context but it applies anywhere we need to know where we start and what we're up to whether that's us as individuals or um, as, as a, thinking about a piece of landscape or a, a business, our strengths and weaknesses become key to decide where to go next and then to adapt what we do. And that's just as true in terms of managing farms regeneratively or more sustainably or whatever jargon we want to, to do. The simple answer won't be we should all do the same. We should do the thing that is most effective and most sustainable for that particular system in that place. And, and technology, with, with everything, the endeavours that you, yourself and your colleagues are, are doing, creating at NIAB, do you think in parallel, the technology and the excitement around that, whether that be um, probes and soils, reporting back to the farm office in real time as to what's happening in the crop, whether that be uh, satellite imagery, whether that be um, a kit on, on uh, uh, sprayers and combines, give you that, do, do you think there is that, that potential marriage of, of unity between yourself and that technology to, to create this elusive crop, this, this perfect 100% crop ongoing? I mean, yes. There is a real potential. There's also a potential to oversimplify in that scenario too. If I just get that piece of one information, then I'll know everything yeah. I need to do. And actually what you need is uh, that, and it's a very old fashioned word, husbandry, that bringing together of strands of skills. It's not about doing the same thing every time, but it's about that site awareness, season awareness, but drawing on all the information that you can or all the data that you can to make information that's useful to you. But that that's a tricky piece to do. And it's going to need information of different sorts. But yeah, absolutely. The technology that's coming through in terms of new precision breeding approaches, technology in terms of monitoring, but yeah. together with actually those softer skills around yeah. observation and management and understanding locality. And the, those, the technology doesn't devalue the, the importance of those softer skills, but it can enhance how we use those softer skills to engage. And I'm talking about landscapes and soils in terms of husbandry, but crops or livestock or businesses more effectively. And so it's it's that for NIAB, it's really about, and for my group in NIAB, about providing knowledge so that people can um, make better decisions, provide measures of change that allow people to monitor yeah. better. So that work that we've been doing on soil health has been about giving people those measures that allow them to make those measurements, but also about using that knowledge to provide confidence so that farmers can be confident in their change processes 
And then, of course, NIAB's role is, is not to do all this alone, but to do it in partnership. Anybody who's who's wants to work in that same space, we will happily work in partnership with. As a charity, our role is to enable and to support, um, not to uh, and to lead, but but not to dominate. So it's it's about yeah. having that facilitation role, leading through knowledge. And I, I think you and your colleagues have, have definitely created a let's let's go for that big buzzword societal change. That, that with my my recruitment hat on. In the last six months, we've done three big farm manager recruitment projects, and with when we instigated them, um, all of the farmer owners or state owners stated that they wanted uh, farm managers who. Uh, wanted to uh, approach sustainability, regenerative agriculture, and uh, ideally uh, carbon neutrality. And I've never seen that before. And I, it wasn't me pushing that agenda. These these were, in some respects, um, mature farmers, third generation, who I, I was quite surprised that they they actually wanted to. And, and they said, no, this is the change. We, we are the custodians of the soil. We've got to do good. And to do good, we need to find these sort of people. And with two of those projects, um, recruitment projects, we, we found um the, the the required individuals and i could just see the, the positivity that's now going to happen that yes that those farms have got to be run on a commercial basis but they also want to trial and find what works on a sustainability regenerative um basis because because they've, they've learned from yourself elizabeth and and naya but i want to go down that route I, I, are you are you seeing that as well you you do you feel that you're pushing against that uh, that that open door that we are seeing again for my big phrase again that this societal change happening within within agriculture? Yeah, yeah, I think we are, and I think it, it's it's as a soil scientist, I think the regenerative word has has taken over. But for me, um, what I've seen in my lifetime in, in terms of 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 soil engagement and understanding of of soils and and practical is that people have you know I used to get two or three farmers going oh you know fertilizer management when I had a soil meeting and I now you know we will do a farm walk and have 15 to 20 coming from literally a five mile radius and so that you know that engagement and, and interest is coming from use that phrase the ground up it's people who Excellent. recognize that actually putting their soils into good hearts removing the constraints to production is actually key to what they want to do and that's about it is about learning again and being freed a little bit to experiment and to do differently, to not feel you have everybody has to follow this recipe or do this thing. Actually, that there is a freedom now increasing in agriculture where each farm can do the thing that works best for them within a whole set of constraints. And there are really tricky constraints from th coming through from supply chains that put pressure onto farmers, for example, to harvest potatoes sugar beet or carrots or any of those things when the soil's just a bit too wet yep. um or to you know go for a second crop or to to yep. opt to so there are there are things we need to work out in our food system i don't think um the henry dinbleby report got it perfectly right but it certainly started as on that proper conversation about how food and farming and us as a society can work most effectively together yeah, and, and where again, I'm hoping that because of the, the the way that the UK farming system is so highly regarded internationally, and and, and again, like at NIAB, um, that we'll see um, everything that we're we're learning um, being picked up in, in other countries. And I don't want to. I also 
seem to pick on Canada. I just know of some um, prairie farming examples of where they've just got very large tractors and it's prairie farming and gallons and gallons of, of chemical put, put on and they could actually increase their the, the yield if they actually treated their soil better. So I'd hope that through, through a process of osmosis, um, whether it be the, light, the lights of groundswell, because there's quite a lot of um, international people there, just that word spreading out that there is a better way of, of, uh, of farming uh, on, an, on an international basis. And we're already seeing that in, in the lights of Africa. And again, it's, it's learning through the, 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 the lights of yourself. And just on that side, we did, had a WhatsApp uh, in, in, uh, earlier, and I, I should know the answer to this. Are you UK focused, Nayab, um, or, or do you work internationally as well? So we have a, we are, I would say dominantly UK focused, but actually, and that's because of that need to be local and site specific. So actually the, the information that we develop is for the UK farming dominantly, but yeah. the science that underpins it is one of those things that's transportable. So then we work in partnership with key people internationally to take that science and make it applicable in those particular places. So work, for example, on biofortification of um, millet. So through Excellent. breeding to improve iron and zinc in diets in Ethiopia and Gambia or developing uh, through breeding approaches, Afri African eggplant, which is a, a potato related species, a solanum. But, you know, looking at that as a food crop for Africa, but using the approaches from the UK, the science, in, but always in partnership with those international organisations and, and true, you know, Cupgrow working closely with uh, for potatoes, so that's the Cambridge University Potato Growers Research Association, uh, working closely with growers in Illinois um, and more widely across um, America to understand how their systems might work and might, we might learn from each other. Excellent. Uh, now here's a, a tricky question from WhatsApp. Um, Elizabeth, um, if you had a standard 2,000 hectare block in East Anglia, like, like, like there's such a thing, um, what would you, what would you and your NIAB colleagues grow on it? <laughs> there's no the, the first the first and all sim anyone who's been taught by me knows how I answer such questions which is it depends which means I now ask as many questions as, as the questioners ask me which is okay so what is the soil you know there yeah. isn't such thing as typical what's thing and so I think East Anglia low rainfall depends if we're talking East Anglia fens or with that boundary that has those those very tricky now for us black soils with high carbon emissions that we need to think about managing in different ways or we're on your sand or your sand clay boundary all of which is within about 15 miles in yeah. a bit of east anglia i think east anglia is a good cereal growing area and yeah. first wheats that is those high quality wheats in rotation will continue to be at the heart of what dominantly happens in arable agriculture in you in the uk i think what we'll find happening around those first wheats though is those more interesting things around cropping so new break crops longer lays coming into farming systems where they'd been taken out 40 years ago whether for biodiversity and uh, pollinators or for grazing animals i think we'll see more of that diversity so i think cereals will still be the heart of the system and in in, in east anglia particularly but and so we will base what we as, as the uk always has bread being the heart of what we do i think that's a really good way to go high quality wheat gives us high quality flour best not baked in my opinion into pappy white flat in pappy white loaves yeah. but you know actually getting that system to work i'm i'm a bakery girl so I, i'm i'm going to grow cereals on my farm i think
Th th thank you. And a question from, from a fr friend who's, who's watching um, on, on LinkedIn. Um, ask Elizabeth the Bread question. There was an article, I can't remember where it was, it was about uh, two, two weeks ago, stating that um, uh, the UK population is going to uh, consume less and less bread and they're going to be wanting uh, more novel crops. So, so could you ever see uh, the, the, the likes of um, the planting of wheat diminishing and the, and the likes of sorghum um, increasing as we go towards more, more novel crops? I think so there's plenty of space in a rotation i think the uk is is a good wheat game but i think there's a lot of space around that in rotation so we do need we will have more novel novel crops or crops that are perhaps less less common so we i don't think we're going to go back to a landscape that's either green or yellow so that yeah. classic wheat barley or seed rate rotation we're going to keep a, a a landscape that has some purple fields whether that's borage or um, the pale blue of linseed, we're going to have some fields that that yeah okay grow sunflowers for cut for cutting and picking because actually why not because yeah. it brings to bring joy into people's lives as well as food. So I think there's there's going to be an opportunity for a whole range of things to happen across um, um, farming systems. And um, Charlie's just put something in the chat yes. around um, hemp, yeah. and I think hemp is a really interesting crop, not just um, for its oil. Um, but actually, because it offers opportunities into the bioeconomy. So there are opportunities not for fibres, but for fibres into reinforcing building materials from hemp. So I think there's going to be so many opportunities, actually, for farming to support things that farming was cut out of in terms of timber and replacements for timber, construction materials, more pharmaceuticals. Um, grown oils, grown plastics, all of these things can emerge from farming and from crops that some of them will just need us to learn how to process crops we already grow well differently. So grass yeah. is an example. The UK grows grass brilliantly. Yeah. Let's not try and grow alternative crops. Let's just find alternative things to do well with grass. So I think there's a challenge there for us not always to say to farmers grow is the thing we need to do the processing, but also to find new ways of processing things that we grow well, because that really effective photosynthesis is what drives good soil health. So it's that capturing of carbon from the atmosphere combination with minerals makes organic material plants that we eat, but that also feeds the soil. Yep, and, and just uh, Charlie, Charlie Curtis, big big shout out to you for, for asking that that's uh, that question as uh, Elizabeth already answered it. But just to give my segue, uh, Charlie said uh, there's a lot of chat around hemp as a new crop for arable farms. Um, I remember when I was a very bad uh, farm trader in, in the late '90s. There was a, a company, Harlow Agricultural Merchants. They they had a, a big stab at uh, uh, growing hemp. Um, for industrial uses for, for padding, uh, for soundproofing for, for cars, and there was a, a big hemp factory, but it didn't work. It's funny, um, Elizabeth, sometimes how these things are very cyclical, that they, they come um, in, in and out. And we've got to ask, ask the question because we've had, had it just on the, on the chat and I've also had it a couple of times on WhatsApp. And, and, and please feel free to, to, to dodge it if you don't think it's uh, appropriate. Mm -hmm. Vertical farming. What, what's the view from, from NIAB on vertical farming? Are you, are you involved in, in any aspect of that? Yeah, so we, we at uh, East Morling, NIAB East Morling, we, we do a lot of work in protected systems. So we've been pioneering the development of those, those cropping systems under protection, which actually are the foundation for what we then are taking through to, to the vertical system. So growing crops well, whether strawberries in beds and so on. Um, and at the NIAB Innovation Hub at Hassi Fen, we've also got trials now that are true vertical farming and integration trials. So our focus is on crop science. 
I, I use I sometimes use this phrase I'm agnostic about farming systems that means I'm I want to do the best crop science provide the best information whichever farming system it's going into it isn't yeah. for NIAB to necessarily make a judgment call on which yeah, or other yeah. is best but to provide the right information for those decisions to be made whether it's to grow a crop well or to make a decision about the environmental impact perhaps of a particular system I think for me one of the things about I think vertical farming is going to do a really good job of some of those small scale crops that we need that to maybe yes. take large land areas it's probably not going to do so well and there's in producing the, the wheat equivalents the large scale carbohydrates and I think we're still going to use land there so it's not going to be a one or other for me and that's why of course we need to as NIAB do our crop science in a way that enables the best development of all those systems because certainly in the next 50 to 100 years we're gonna have a mix of farming systems whether vertical protected cropping people still out there um, working the land at that large scale um, to grow as probably potatoes and wheat yeah. and a whole range of other things too including things that I can build my house out of and make my seats from a car yeah and, and if you look at the, the huge scale especially of food production in, in say uh, Europe um, how that would ever be replaced by, by vertical farming it's it's just it's just not not there the technology is not there that, um we we had a, a great quote from a, from an individual who, who I won't name but who's a, a very good um, grower on a very large vertical farming operation and he, he's got some scars uh, along the way and he says that uh, um, what's his great quote uh, that uh, a growing uh, um, product under uh, protected cropping so say like tomatoes under glass is a bit a bit like driving a, a juggernaut Elizabeth so if you go a little bit off the road you can you can normally pull it back in and get back back on the road but vertical farming uh, is like driving a Ferrari flat out at night on a country road with a blindfold on it's just inevitable you're going to crash and so just a bit of, bit of, bit of context to that so um, if you leave a vertical farming unit on a, on a Friday night and there's a problem with the, with substrate or, or or seed dressing by the time you come back in on a monday morning you, you potentially lost the whole whole crop worst 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 case scenario but, but just coming back to, to technology again i think that's uh, on vertical farming where the technology of um systems being able to identify where there are issues with the crop and being able to automatically uh, re redeem that whether that be uh, 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 folio feeds or, or, or water so again it's, a, it's another fascinating sector to get in so to just jump jumping back to to, to conventional um area got a um a great question from uh, Suze, uh, Suze Franks. Um, Elizabeth, what are your views and thoughts on continuing agricultural production on lowland peat areas, uh, the, the likes of the fens? So we've had the fens drained for, for so many years, boys on own land, uh, provides most of the salad cropping for, for the UK, it feels like. Should, should, we, should we continue? What, what would your view be of that, please? Uh, it depends, obviously, Max. Um, <laughs> so... I think part of our problem, that's one of those hand wavy, let's flood the fens things, which is actually really tricky because A, there probably isn't enough water. So actually East Anglia is in an area that's actually pretty short of water. So actually it's that thing about needing to properly understand the system. So actually, again, in the fens, only around 30% of that land area is lowland peat. So if we re-wet yeah. it, that might be okay. But the land around it, we've now made vulnerable to to and not able to produce high quality other so it's a nuanced and i'm going to just i'm dodging it but only because yeah, yeah. i think there isn't a simple answer and i think the answer has to almost work 
set some principles. It's a bit like regenerative farming. We want some principles. We want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. There's no question about that in the fence. We want to improve biodiversity, but we also want to produce high quality food for the UK. And that's a triple challenge that's really difficult to deliver. But actually at local scale then, having set those principles in, at a sort of, and in that the jargon for the fence is an IDB, an internal drainage board that managed water mortar managed area so like a catchment in um in a in a upland system we can then investigate well hang on there's already that corner of that field that sits wet most of the time maybe we could re-wet that maybe actually over there we could be holding the water in a different way and creating a reservoir that will give us the biodiversity and so what we end up with is this nuanced landscape that isn't one thing or the other but the a mosaic or a, even a changing mosaic so a kaleidoscope through time Excellent. of different managements in through in and through the rotation that manages to deliver those interactions but as a consequence it's tricky because it's not easy not amenable to a let's flood the fence or let's take vegetable production off um sue's i'm aware is thinking about that in the context of supply chains and thinking about should there be some guidance some support actually from supply chains to say can we look for other alternatives and it becomes then if we don't grow celery there where do we grow our celery as an alternative and is that better or worse because actually if we take it it may have to go overseas it may be that we're putting it onto the soil around Elvedon, at which point we'll need an awful lot of irrigation so actually it's quite a tricky working out both for the landscape of the fens but also if we displace production from the fens to somewhere else what will that mean and so all of those things need to be underpinned by the best possible evidence to support the decision making and, and NIAB has a role but it isn't the only person with a role in that it's one no, of the stakeholders and just on, on, on that one, a friend of mine asked earlier, um, asked, asked Elizabeth the, 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 Dutch, the Dutch diamond question. Um, you, if you look at NIAB, you're experts at what you do. If you look at the UK farmers, they're experts at what, what they do. In Holland, they have what they, they've uh, called the, the Dutch diamond, that they have such a strong link between government, education, and, um, and, and the farming horticultural sector. And they, they've got this very symbiotic relationship that they all work with each other to, to, to prosper, um, whether that be commercially within farming and horticulture and also on a sustainable basis. Do you think we need to have more instigated the Dutch diamond uh, model within the UK of a stronger link between government, um, uh, your, your, yourselves, the research element and, and the growers. Do you think that would be beneficial? Or as we've just been talking, there's this there's yet more churn within within our UK government. Do we just need to to, to part government involvement and, and, and look to proceed by, by ourselves with with NIAB holding hands gleefully with, with with the growers, with the farmers to create success that way? Or do we need government input? What do you think? It depends again, Matt. Um, <laughs> I think I, I genuinely think it's probably some and all of that. So I don't think there is a one solution. I think if you if we say, well, certainly we can't wait for that perfect coming together of all the players to make the. We've got to get on and do some things. Sometimes with government involved, sometimes with government watching, sometimes industry actually, whether that's supply chains working with their farmers, and actually just getting on and doing stuff because the science is behind or any of those things that just need to be brought together most effectively. I think, you know, sometimes we just need to get on. And I think NIAB yeah. and academics have a key role in operating in that space to provide the right sort of information, not, not to, to underpin a particular viewpoint, but to give that independent view to support change.
Yeah, um, NIAB, NIAB is a fantastic organization, but are there roadblocks that's, that uh, slow you down from achieving more success? Well, if you've got a small, a large back pocket of lots of money, we'd love to have lots of it because, of course, there's always a constraint in what we can do okay. simply because there's not enough capacity, um, you know, and that might be also a capacity people thing that we need more training of people to be able to operate in, in particular ways. Um, I think if we focus on the roadblocks, we don't move forward, though. So we've also got to think about those sometimes constraints as providing us opportunities to think in yep. different ways and to work around well them um and i think uh, there's a there's a question that actually i think is a really good question in the chat that actually i don't think niab does as well as it might do and so it's it, it's then about a decision about how we use our resources most effectively but our interaction directly with the public and with consumers is probably not as strong as it might be yeah. but actually we might be doing that more effectively by providing the information to others who then use it. So it's, it, we, I think there, it isn't necessary for every organization in a partnership to do all the bits of the job perfectly. In fact, that would be a rubbish partnership. What you want are really strong organizations who then work in partnership to do their really strong things. And, and for example, and we'll just big up Caroline because we miss her in a, in a lot. Oh. That context of, of Leaf and the work that Leaf yeah. did. Niab and Leaf have worked together for a lot of years to make sure that those farmers making those decisions on farm, opening their farms up, having the right information to share. The same with the NFU for Niab and, and that close working relationship, but the same too in terms of training for um, academics and industry. You know, I think Ni there are key roles but everyone doesn't have to do the same thing. Yeah, but and we're into that, that age-old predicament, aren't we, that uh, six out of 10 kids don't know where fruit and veg comes from just because of the nature of, of the UK, that we're a very urban um, urban, urban area. But you, but you would hope, especially after the back of the last couple of years and um, people looking to grow more and, and, and uh, do more scratch cooking that people would have a, a better understanding but we'll, we'll probably be no not critical towards Naya but I don't think it's your your role to tell everyone where where the loaf comes from or where the strawberry comes from but if we could wave that proverbial magic wand so that the um, general populace has a bit more of an understanding they would then buy uh, more um, uh, fa fantastic uh, biscuits bread strawberries rather than ugh, a pop tarts um, that, that do do not, not, nothing for them but yeah elizabeth i'm sure you've been in lots of i don't want to call them talking shops but uh, uh lots, lots of meetings over the years about trying to influence the the, the the british consumer but we've got some great great advocates out there whether it be like said, the um the nfu or, or veg power that uh, do, do a fantastic um, job to to promote promote the sector out out to out to the youth youth of today so come on, the, the, the future, what, um, we've got our proverbial crystal ball here. When, when you and I are, are, are messing around in soil on another plane for 50 years down the line, let's go, let's go for a big one. Do, do, do you think, where, where do you think farming, farming is, is going to be? Um, do, do, you, do you think with the technology that's coming in, it will just be, it, would, it will be better. It will be farmed on a more regenerative basis. There, there will be better, better, better yielding. Or, or do you think there will, won't be a lot of change? I it depends. Uh, it definitely depends. I what do I well, so the first thing to say about our playing with soil in the future is that of course that we will be soil maps, depending on how how we've um, been uh, 
bit buried and disposed of. So both of those will become food for those growing um, organisms in the future and, and actually powering the powering the world as we break down that decomposition process becomes key to actually how the whole cycle works. And I think that's the idea of cycle and of um, system and interaction is important because I think there are some farming systems already in the UK that are perfectly in tune with their pieces of landscape that actually couldn't do any better in terms of managing their piece of landscape to deliver that if we, we take it as just one tri a triple challenge and it's more than that but for biodiversity for food production and for, for net zero for, for reducing greenhouse gases and of course there's more to it than that but there are some bits of land that are still do already doing that perfectly there are some that are a long way away I think that will still be the case, but I believe more will have found a way of bringing those things together. But what my thought that will mean in terms of landscapes is they'll be more diverse, that we'll see more difference that at the moment we have tended and it's, it's, it's moving away even now, but we've tended to drive through bits of the countryside that are mon pretty close to being monoculture, one thing or the other, or this is the sugar beet region or this is whatever. I think what we'll see is more diversity in those landscapes rotations, more diversity in the way farms work. And, and that doesn't to say that there isn't a role for big supply chains, but, but that will change, I think, in a way that the supply chains will need to engage with farmers differently those supply chains will be into construction into pharmaceuticals as well as into food and i think there are lots of opportunities so i farming hasn't stood still for the past right. 300 years it's not going to stand still for the next 300 yeah. and that's going to include technology yeah. it's going to probably um, change the way the labour profile works on farm. We, we've talked before about advertising for tractor drivers who are actually computer operators, yeah, and that's yeah. just going to get more and more in that direction. Um, and, you know, the ways we might be able to combine and use information will allow us to make more targeted decisions, I think, but that will allow us to have more diversity. And I think that is probably what I expect to see. If I was, was here in 100 years, I wouldn't expect to look out of my window as it is here and look out across a couple of big arable fields. I will expect to see actually those broken up with some beetle banks and some strips in them to see some of those changes that have already happened happening. But around here, I live um, not far from Stansted Airport, probably also some more houses and probably also some other changes that are going to affect farming land that isn't about farming decisions. So, so you're positive. You're positive for the future. Yeah. Okay. No, it okay. depends. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just before we wrap up, we need more of you. We need more of you in in the sector. How can we persuade, um, whether, whether it be the younger generation or, 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 or those of um, slightly mature who are looking to retrain? What would your advice be as to those that are contemplating have, having a career within the agriculture, the horticultural sectors? What, what would your advice be to them, please? Uh, go for it. And also find the thing that makes you excited. Don't try and do something that just that feels like the right thing to do or something that makes someone else excited. Stick with the stuff that makes you excited. Yeah. Um, and if that thing is, is about studying something in, in small detail and not interacting with farmers, that's also fine because I, I and the industry needs people who understand stuff in, in tiny detail. And we also need people who take that science and make it work and we need people who work in so find the thing that inspires you and st and stick with it and it will be tricky and it'll be difficult and it won't always go smoothly and we won't 
I, I can't, I, I've, I can map my journey, but it wasn't a planned career. Yeah. Yeah. So we're all going to do that more and more. But yeah, yeah but, it's but, a great but, place to work, great way to work. And for but, me, bigger hole. But, <laughs> but you, you stole my words. But, but you, you had a general focus as to where you wanted to go. And you, you, you didn't have a, have a career plan that was mapped out on your fridge that you would be expecting, uh, inspecting every morning to make sure you were doing the right thing. To, you, you just knew where you go. And when you do that, I, I find that generally luck comes to you, opportunities come to you. Uh, because you've got that general focus as to where you want to go. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? You can see in retrospect sometimes those things much more easily than you can when you're going through them and wondering it, mm. how on earth this is going to work. And after that postdoc, will there actually be a job to go to? And actually, though, to tell someone who's currently struggling and can't see where they'll go next or it'll all work out in the end isn't actually that helpful because actually it's only in, in hindsight you can often see it. But it is yeah. worth telling someone in that situation. It is worth sticking and holding on to something you love doing. Don't let go of the things you really enjoy doing to do things that you feel you should. Yep. So it's that yep. balance of, of making sure that at least in when you have to sometimes do just things because you have to, that you hold on to some of the things that also make you excited in your job. Or perhaps it's about for some people, it's about growing veg or keeping involved in that in their allotments around the edge of the other things they have to do in the short term. Yeah, no, I just love your mantra because I think it can spread across all, all areas. Dig your own hole in a positive, positive manner. <laughs> find, find, find what makes you happy and go dig your, dig your own hole. Um, Elizabeth, I, I found this really in, interesting. So everyone, dial up NIAB. They, they, they are um, very, very good on a social media perspective. Um, Elizabeth, have, are you, you and your team, your colleagues, are you attending other events that we can go and see you at um, shortly? Uh, fruit focus is next week for anyone next in the Wednesday, fruit yeah. sector I won't be there but Nayab will be there in in, in style um, and we're involved in lots of smaller events now we're going to, it starts to get a little bit busy with that thing called harvest max so people <laughs> don't particularly want to come to many events so winter barley already going also grape not far off but but still a whole range of things going on um potato, there are potato events so those of you who um are involved in potato growing cupgra um have an open day on the 26th of july so if anyone is interested in coming as a guest do drop me an email to find out what potato research is funded by the industry working with NIAB. So. Excellent. Elizabeth, th thank you. Just before we uh, wrap up, um, just to highlight again, um, I'm sure it's not going to be a big clash, but on the 26th of September, live in-person event for women of food and farming um, in central London. Contact me or contact the, the admin team of um, uh, women of food and farming to get to, to get signed up for that. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you very much for, for your time. And we look forward uh, to seeing you in, in your next inspection pit, in your, in your next hole, whether that be zero, well, it will be, will be before then. But Elizabeth, thank you very much for your time. We, we the, the amount of comments I've, I've had then, especially from the likes of WhatsApp and link, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, everyone is, uh, has, has really enjoyed our conversation today so thank you thank you and we'll catch up very shortly thank you elizabeth thank you bye bye, 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 bye.